0: <laughs> I heard that the script was so funny that it brought tears to your eyes. It did, um, and of course, working with Danny DeVito. We were both in Montreal making different heist movies. Why, that's right. Um, and we had a drink one night, and he said, "I got this funny script," and he sent it to me to look at. He said to look at Rainbow Randolph. He wanted me to look at the Robin Williams part, but I read it, and then we got together for a drink, and I said, "I said, I think Smoochie. and and he went, he went, "No, no." yes yes you know he was like smoochy now but you know <laughs>
1: that was so yeah. good <laughs> he
0: still calls me sheldon mopes he doesn't he does call, not. yeah he does he, he when he writes me he says mopes robin williams kinetic energy working alongside that what was that like for you he was a whirling dervish of a man robin was a great technician that's the funny thing is people think oh robin just goes and throws a ton of spaghetti against the wall and something's going to stick but he was a masterful film actor. He, he was very self-aware. I mean, he was hilarious. I remember Katherine Keener's uh, little boy was like three years old and Robin was going on a bit or something and suddenly her little, her little boy went, no more, no more, no more, no more, no more, you know? And Robin just like, Robin fell on the ground. He was like, he knew when it was time to turn it off.
2: welcome back to a brand new episode of not a bomb podcast this is the movie podcast where we go back and talk about all the movies that bombed or just weren't very popular with the critics and uh, give them a second chance and boy do we have a doozy tonight not only did it bomb but i think it was one of the most hated movies of 2002 uh how you doing this week brad
3: doing great man how
2: are you I'm I'm great. I'm excited we're back, to back
3: on schedule this week, so it's yeah, always nice.
2: It kind of feels normal. Um we got that last episode out a little bit late, but tons of stuff going on. Now we're back in our rhythm. And I'm also excited because tonight we're we're actually doing a, a film based on some listener feedback, meaning somebody was writing in and saying, Hey, you should talk about this film. And I think in, they wrote in
3: in writing in. Yeah, four hundred twenty-two emails in. or
2: something. Five yeah. and, who said
3: nepo- and who said nepotism is dead as well? Nepotism works.
2: <laughs> it's, it's the American way. Uh, speaking of nepotism, we're going to say hello to our guest. Uh, this individual is the one who wrote over and over and over and over and over again that we should be doing death to smoochie. And I think the reason why he wrote so much is, um, A, we're related Uh, and he thought it would be really funny to annoy me with this, but, um, B it's, it's actually one that was on our list because (laughs) when we were putting the list together, uh, this is a film that I kind of wanted to tackle at some point. So I'm glad this individual brought it to the forefront again and again and again and again. (laughs) So, uh, I'm, I'm excited to have Nathan back on the show. Nathan, how are you doing this evening?
1: I'm great. Uh, Happy, happy, very happy to be here with you guys discussing this uh, film. Um, even if I wasn't here, it'd be a great time just hearing hear what you guys' thoughts were on it. So,
2: Well, so you are not at home. You're on location in Indianapolis, right?
1: Uh, yeah, on location.
2: On location in Indianapolis for a very special event. Um, what have you been doing the last four days?
1: Uh, Gen Con, the best four days of gaming. Awesome. So I've been playing board games, hanging out with friends, catching up with people I went to college with, and uh, just really seeing what's uh, tabletop
3: gaming. Right? Tabletop gaming.
1: Oh my gosh, it's insane. There's miniatures and board games and card games, and there's an anime film festival and a horror and sci-fi film festival, and the thing is huge. I mean, there's LARPing, there's workshops. I mean, if you want to learn how to make bikini chainmail. Boy, do they have a seminar for you. So.
2: Oh, did you videotape that class? Because I really want to know how to make Bikini Chainmail.
3: Is that VOD? Can I get that on
1: demand? Yeah. <laughs> it, it may be. I've never attended. I don't know the details.
2: Mm-hmm. What did you attend? Like, give us, give us some idea of what you saw at Gen Con. That was pretty cool.
1: Um, as far as I hit a couple seminars on film, just discussion about the industry. And then I caught some shorts programs. One was a sci-fi film block. One was a Misfits film block and then caught one or two other features, um, did demoing of games in the game hall or exhibitors hall, I should say, and then I uh, just caught up with people. So,
2: OK, what was the coolest panel, film or show, short you saw that we should be on the lookout for?
1: Oh my gosh. Um, I'll have to check my notes. It's been a blur these last four days um, and each day I kind of forget what I had done. So I really seriously have to be like almost Dear Journal, this was I did not enjoy this because or hey, this is awesome. Keep an eye out for it. Um, I do know, or I did notice a trend a lot of the shorts and everything this year uh, when they're talking about distribution they're talking about how they're going to be on the fantasy network, which is not a service that I yet have. So I'll probably have to figure out some time to pick that up to catch all the things that I did miss.
2: I'm sorry, the fantasy network. I'm not familiar. Yes. with Yes. It's a streaming. Uh, I'm not
1: app? that familiar with either. Yeah, I believe it's a streaming service.
2: Okay. I mean, I've
3: had fantasies
2: before. (laughs) Yes, Brad, we know.
3: Okay. And some some involve even a dragon.
2: Yep. And this is why I don't want to see your web browser history either. Uh, (laughs) Were were there any tabletop games um, that you played that you hadn't played before that really caught your eye? Or you had a lot. Of fun?
1: Um, there were a couple. One was a worker placement game where you're playing uh, bootleggers trying to smuggle, essentially, uh, liquor from point A to point B without you know trying to avoid the cops, other um, opponents, and alligators, which is your favorite thing to avoid, Troy. So yeah, this you sounds have like to, right to watch out for alley.
2: alligators. Alligators are the the reptile ninjas of the world.
1: Yep. <laughs> okay. Another one that caught my eye was one where you're um, essentially fire towers, and fire starts in a forest, and you're essentially trying to be the last tower standing. So it's a competitive game where you're placing fire on the board, trying to burn out your opponent's t- towers before they burn yours out. So it doesn't sound
2: very climate friendly.
1: No, it's not. It's not. Um, and another one, my, one of my buddies picked up. It's called Gloom. Um, the, the object of the game is so you're over a prestigious family. Um, you have like four family members and then the cards you're playing essentially increase their, I guess they end up being very, very (laughs) very unhappy in life. So, you know, people get drinking problems or debt with creditors and stuff like that. And the idea is you make your family as, I guess, unhappy as possible while making opponents' families as happy as possible. And then there's cards that you play that make those family members die, oh! and that essentially locks in the point value um, positive or I guess how many negative points there are worth. So that one was an interesting one because you're trying to figure out negative points are good and so on. So, I mean, that, that's just a quick handful of the things that we've done this past uh, four days. Wow. Did I got to ask, did you do any LARPing? Uh, I did not. Um, have have this... Is-
2: have you ever done any like? Because you've gone to these like on a, on a pretty regular basis. Have you done LARPing there?
1: So this is the tenth year that I've gone. I had a nine year streak before COVID. Um, I have LARPed once, and it was not at Gen Con. Oh, so
2: okay. I, I so, yeah. Can I ask about you? your LARPing character? Like, I just I got to know. I, this is something I don't know about my nephew. <laughs> what did you All LARP right. as? Can I guess? It was a wood elf, right? You look like a tall wood elf. Nope, you're no. wrong. You're wrong. Uh, you weren't a dwarf because you're like eight feet tall. I, I don't know. I, I give up. What, what did you LARP as? Okay.
1: So I the one time I LARPed, it was a while ago, but it was some friends in Northwest Indiana. They would do an annual October LARP. It would be overnight. And they had a friend that they had a house and a barn and a shed. And they would set up all these different locations. And it was set in the setting of Call of Cthulhu. And it was very dark and very fun. And long story short, I did not survive.
2: Oh, uh, Nathan, that doesn't sound like LARPing. That sounds like a cult. I think you went to a cult outing. Um, I Just Brad, I don't know. In my, I mean, Tom Cruise Zach- was sacrificed?
1: there, so maybe it was a cult.
2: Oh, no, no, no. Then that was Scientology. That's not a cult. That's uh, oh, it's a okay, very good okay. religion. It's really good. You should check. <laughs> if you enjoyed it, I think you should keep going. It's really good.
1: Let let me clarify so you guys don't get sued off the Internet. Um, Tom Cruise was not there.
3: Allegedly.
2: Allegedly. (laughs) He was allegedly not there. (laughs) Not there. (laughs) Uh, So so tonight, no more game talk. Movie talk now. All right. Shut that Gen Con stuff down. Uh, Although I'm jealous because I know you go like every year. And every year I'm like, oh, I'm going to go. And I, I never do. Um, but the crowds there, I've seen pictures, it looks ridiculous. Was it kind of back in full form or was it still pretty light?
1: Uh, it definitely felt like it was 90, 95% capacity from what I remember. Um, it was pretty crowded. And I could see how, especially if someone's concerned about COVID, how this would not be the event for them right now. Um, one thing the organizers did uh, try to do to ease those, uh, I guess, concerns. One, you had to be uh, fully vaccinated. Mm-hmm. And you had to be wearing masks at all times. And it wasn't just a, hey, we're going to put signage up and then people do whatever. They're actually really good about enforcing it and reminding people. And it was, a, hey, this is what you have to do to attend. And so if you want to participate in the best four days of gaming, then these are the rules. And, and you're gamers, pull- you know rules.
2: Wait a minute. They pulled that off in Indiana the most don't want to wear a mask state that I know of.
1: Yes, because they attract people from all over.
2: Oh, okay.
1: All over the US. I mean, you're talking I remember my first year volunteering, meeting people as far away as New Zealand and France and Germany, and they'd all just traveled to the United States explicitly to attend Gen Con. So I I have
3: I have a more important question. Did you see the games workshop's new contrast paint? Please tell me you did.
1: I don't get into that. I have a couple I, buddies. That I don't are know what you just said. But. What
2: what did you do? The words that so came out so of So games
1: workshop. They they have uh, a couple of miniatures games. One of which is probably the most popular, which is Warhammer 4A, I believe. Yes. Yep. And so the little miniatures and table, you know, the the tabletop gaming, and people will spend, excuse me, hours and hours and hours just painting the miniatures. Brad, and they can look pretty amazingly awesome. I mean, people put a lot of time into them. Brad, do you, are you, do you,
2: do you do this? Yeah. Yeah, of course. Really? Mm -hmm. Oh my God. I'm learning so much. I have
1: a question. How, how do you have money for movies then? Because everyone I know that plays any miniatures game, that's all their money goes towards.
2: Well, Brad has a trust fund. He doesn't work. (laughs) So he's living off some mega trust fund.
1: He's a fat cat banker, right? Yeah. Uh, no, I just,
3: yeah, I I've just been doing it for the past few years. So, um, But they did re- release like ninety-five different new contrast paints. So yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, One of the conversations with our group last night was, I swear, thirty minutes only on using wash. Yeah, like wash. <laughs> I guess is a subset of all those paints. And there was at least thirty minutes just discussing how to do washes.
2: So I, I, I've learned two things. A- glazes?
3: They talk about glazes?
1: Uh, if they did, my eyes glazed over. And I <laughs> yeah, out.
3: exactly.
2: Well, I've I've learned two new things now. Brad uh, out nerds me in everything now, um, and Nathan, you tried Scientology for a week. I'm kind of proud of you. Uh, you you took a farther step than I have yet. Yet I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna get there someday.
3: You'll get on well, that
1: boat one day. One we day. can talk about it.
2: Okay. Um, You'll get on
3: that boat one day, Troy. Don't you worry.
2: I'm trying. I'm trying. I'm gonna meet Tom Cruise. Uh, let's talk death to smoochie 2002. So this one, Nathan, you have championed for a couple of years now. I'm just curious why this one, I I, I mean, it has a pretty stellar cast when you, when you kind of look at it on paper, uh, it actually put a movie studio out of business. That's how bad it bombed. Um,
1: yeah. So when you guys started up the podcast, I, I loved the concept. and I started looking at my IMDB ratings and seeing what have i rated the highest what do i what do i thoroughly enjoy and watch over and over and over and has rewatchability and then i started looking into well the hard thing about that was well if i rated it high my assumption was well of course it was a financial success and critics loved it and when i started looking up some of these films that i rated as 10s out of 10s on imdb i came across this one and the amount of money that this lost you have to have tried almost to lose money like they did it's still reading up on all the different theories on how they did as poorly as they did i i don't think the theories necessarily check out because well we can get into that later but
2: okay no that, that's perfect well brad usually walks us through that piece of the information as we go back in time to 2002 and find out how movies did at the box office but also uh, what the critics thought and then what they were competing against. So Brad, I'm going to kick it over to you. If you could put those miniatures down for a second, um, and maybe just concentrate on what we're doing right now, uh, and, and talk to us about death to smoochie.
3: Yeah. So death to smoochie comes out March 29th, 2002 with a reported budget of $50 million. Wow. Hold on. $50 (laughs) million. Yeah. Um, and the grand total for its whole box office run is $8.3 million. So wow. it lost, just on budget alone, $41 million, just on budget alone.
2: Hey, uh, um, I, I know Nathan and I gave some money to that $8 because I think we saw it on opening weekend, right, with your brother?
1: Yep, yep that's Can- correct. Kansas City, Missouri. Yep, Blue Ridge Parkway AMC, I believe. And I remember us standing in the parking lot quoting this movie. We had already enjoyed it so much.
3: So. Yeah, pretty much. Wow. Um, 8 yeah, so, so opening weekend, I find this to be very, very crazy. Opening weekend, it makes $4.2 million. So it makes half its return, which usually kind of is how it works out. But yeah. I mean, it literally is gone by may 5th is his last weekend so it's in the theater for a solid month five weeks and then is gone um on its opening weekend it makes like i said 4.2 million dollars that's good enough for seventh place uh behind the films such as panic room ice age the rookie blade 2 clock stoppers And E.T. The Extraterrestrial 20th Anniversary. And I believe E.T. has come on and beat a lot of the films we've talked about at its original release. It's re-release. It's re-release re now. Um, So, yeah. So that is Death to Smoochie. Um, Critically, Troy, Mm -hmm. Death to Smoochie (laughs) does not fare much better. Um, It sits at a 43% on Rotten Tomatoes. That's with 120 uh, critical reviews. And with the audience. 66%. 66%. That's with over 50,000 reviews. So two thirds of the audience likes Death, Death to Smoochie. You know that one website does not like Death to Smoochie, Troy. And that okay. is yeah. MovieGuide.org. Oh, uh, I movie-
2: Can't wait for this.
3: <laughs> MovieGuide.org is a religious, a Christian, more specifically, a Christian website that reviews films, not for their quality, but for their contents. Um, they rate everything from a negative four to a plus four. A plus four is uh, on your way to heaven. Minus four is uh, you're on your way to hell.
2: This, this has death, to be a negative three or a negative four at least.
3: Death to smoochie, negative three. Ooh, see, yeah, <clears throat> <clears throat> I get this it. one. This one's this one's good. All right, we do have a Christian worldview. And moral elements mm-hmm. diluted by politically correct elements regarding food and health. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Food and health. Yeah. If you're politically correct about food and health, no, sir. Uh, <laughs> humanistic moral re- relativism and excessive foul language from characters surrounding the hero, at least 80 obscenities and eight strong profanities, obscene gesture and crude sexual reference. Much comic violence, such as man beat another man with blunt instruments, man shot dead, implied decapitation, attempted assassination, man starts attempted. to light himself on f- They
2: they full out did it. Yeah.
3: Well, I think it's the shootout at the end that was an attempted assassination. Oh, okay. Yep.
2: Okay, got it, got it. Uh
3: man shot dead, mm-hmm. implied decapitation. Sorry, uh attempted ass- man starts to light himself on fire after pouring gasoline all over his body, fighting, man slams. And man slams into brick wall a couple times. I'm sorry. These sentences are some of the worst, and they're all with you. Commons. Need to clean
2: this up, man.
3: Semicolons and commas. It's insane. Uh, implied it up. fornication, upper male nudity and non-sexual content, and silhouette of couple having uh, taking off their clothes before fornication. Yeah. yeah. Alcohol use and drunkenness, smoking, and murderous iris mobsters help hero. Slander rebuked and corruption exposed. Corruption exposed.
2: Nothing about the penis cookies.
3: Yeah, nothing about penis cookies.
2: (laughs) Wow, they really, they missed. Okay. You you, you know why, Troy? Why? Because they're rocket ships. Because they're rocket ships. (laughs) Oh, I forgot. forgot. They were rocket ships.
3: Excuse me. Okay. Yeah. And films you could have seen in March of 2002. We have 40 Days and 40 Nights. Uh, We Were Soldiers, All About the Benjamins. The Time Machine, Ice Age, Resident Evil, uh, Blade 2, Sorority Boys, Clockstoppers, The Panic Room, The Rookie. Wow. All came out that month. March was kind of stacked. Yeah, it was. Hey, Panic Room is an awesome David Fincher film, by the way. People sleep on it. It's good.
2: So I wanted to share one review. This is my favorite review of the film. (laughs) It's, it's just so golden. Um, it's from Roger Ebert, okay? Oh, yes. So this is, this is an excerpt from Roger Ebert's take on Death to Smoochie. So here we go. Only enormously talented people could have made Death to Smoochie. That sounds good right there, that first line, <laughs> right? Those with lesser gifts would have lacked the nerve to make a film so bad so miscalculated, so lacking any connection with any possible audience. To make a film this awful, you have to have enormous ambition and confidence and dream big dreams. He actually named Death to Smoochie as the worst movie of 2002.
1: So So along the lines of that, that's the opening line of his review. Yeah. I also have his closing line of the same review because it it kind of stays. Yeah,
2: go for it. Go for it.
1: And the annals of the movies, few films have been this odd, inexplicable, and unpleasant.
3: <laughs>
1: hmm. That's it. So,
3: I love Roger Ebert. We all love Roger Ebert. Yep. Comedies and dark comedies are not his thing.
1: No.
2: Well, can we so, can we were, talk about what came out in two thousand two? And he thinks that these films are better than Death to Smoochie, Just right out of the gate here. So, okay. I, I'm just going to list a few. Yeah. And, and you you tell me, yep, that movie is better than Death to Smoochie. So I'm going to start with Madonna's Swept Away. Oh, yes. Better than Death to Smoochie? Absolutely not. Okay. No, okay. no chance in hell. Uh, I've never seen it because the stink on that was so bad <laughs> that the trailer alone was like, no. But I'm going to take your word for it, Brad. Nathan, have you ever seen Swept Away? I mean. I have not. Okay. So we're just. Okay. Another one that when I saw the trailer. There's no way, and I will not watch this unless I'm forced, but uh, 2002's The Master of Disguise with Dana Carvey. <laughs> have either of you seen that one?
3: I, I Sadly, I have.
2: Okay. Was that better than Death to Smoochie?
3: Oh, that one might have been worse than Swept Away.
2: Ooh, okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> another one I have not seen, Joanna Mann with Tommy Davidson, Kevin Pollock vivica a fox uh seen it, it seen it was was it better no no
3: no no chance
2: okay i not have not one.
3: seen it are you gonna say pluto nash next pluto nash yep.
2: okay <laughs> haven't seen that one either um better than
3: death Dismuchy? i i've I not seen pluto nash
2: okay i've not seen it there, there's a there was a tom green film called stealing harvard with tom green jason lee Dennis i kind of like that movie it was it was better
3: oh maybe? yes oh, yes it was
2: okay and I've seen this one. Um, Steven Seagal's Half Past Dead. Yeah.
3: Hey, man, you know my movie's better than Death to Smoochie. I'm
2: going to I'm gonna say this is the one I have seen, <laughs> and it is not better than Death to Smoochie. <laughs> um, yeah. Here's another one. <laughs> this controversial one. We'll see where this plays out. Halloween Resurrection. Evil Finds Its Way Home from 2002. Was it better than Death to Smoochie? No, no. Okay,
1: I don't remember it, so I'll I'll plead the fifth.
2: Uh, Jamie Lee Curtis dies in the first five minutes. There you go. Spoiled, spoil. Yeah, because
3: she was supposed to come back, and she read the script. It was like, you know what? It's just a cameo. Thank you.
2: Yeah, she makes out with Michael Myers in the beginning, on top of a roof, like gives him some tongue, and then gets stabbed, and then they move on to was that Ludacris? No, uh, Busta Rhymes. Busta Rhymes. Yeah, because he yeah, was doing Buster the Jimmy bus. Wing you stuff.
3: Yeah,
2: um, yeah. So Roger Ebert. Thought all of those doesn't films, ballistic
3: and sever come out or ballistic uh,
2: X versus sever or sever yeah that comes out in is one of yeah. the worst yeah, yeah yeah and all of those films are better than Death to smoochie so keep keep that in context according to Roger Ebert according to Roger Ebert
3: the tuxedo is that better than oh, no, I,
2: <laughs> so, the tuxedo <laughs> yeah. let's talk about the people behind the camera in front of the gate you're not gonna get me mm-hmm. on any. Like Forum, Open Air, anything. Even of the five people that are listening to this, I'm not going to come out here and say that any Jackie Chan movie is bad. It's just not going to happen. Okay. There are lesser degrees of Jackie Chan. Okay? just
1: I, I have a few other 2002 films. Okay. Warren
2: Uh Was that?
1: Uh, yeah. I, I like that one. Yeah. Okay. Better than Deaths of Smoochie or not?
3: Uh, it's a toss-up, I would say. Yeah.
1: I haven't okay.
2: seen that one forever. I remember liking it, though, when yeah. I saw it.
1: Uh, Kung Pao, under the Fist.
2: Oh, that Oh that movie's awesome. That's amazing. That movie's – that was probably a top 10 film of 2002, honestly. Okay.
1: Uh, My Big Fat Greek Wedding.
3: <laughs> no, I mean that movie's pretty – it has its moments. Uh, it's. A, I mean the Windex thing goes a bit too far and – all that stuff, but it's, it's not a bad movie.
2: It's a kissy kissy smoochy film. I'm, um, and I don't mean like a purple rhinoceros. I mean, smoochies like you kissing a purple rhinoceros. No, I'm not kicking it.
1: No, no, I'm not. (laughs) Uh, what about Van Wilder? (sighs)
2: Um, I like Van Wilder. I do like Van Wilder. That's just a different type of comedy. And and I mean, to this day, I won't, I won't eat cream donuts anymore because of that film cream filled so donuts it, so by And by us
3: and let's be fair ryan reynolds has played that same character for every movie since yeah that. he's yes. done it oh, yes. since
2: uh two guys a girl in the pizza parlor it's yep. it's ryan reynolds doing that yep
1: so all these that i've been listing actually made money uh you know beyond their budgets uh oh. new guy the new guy
2: uh that that was okay it had the girl from buffy the vampire slayer i can't remember her name
1: she played oh, uh, faith ollie g and a house
2: Never seen it.
3: I do like Ollie G, but I don't know about that one. Yeah.
2: I thought that was an HBO. Did that play in the theater? It,
1: I mean,
3: it was HBO, but yeah. okay. I guess he, yeah.
1: And then I've got a few others, but I think we've kind of made our point here.
2: <laughs> I think Hall- yeah, Halloween Resurrection made money, man.
3: <laughs> it's a horror movie. They all make money. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So what we're trying to say is Roger Ebert was wrong. We love you, Roger, but you're wrong. Yes. Yeah. Um, you're wrong.
1: Um, if you guys don't mind, in trying to figure out why everyone hated on this movie, I have other reviews.
2: Oh, yeah, please. I'm curious. I, I'm really shocked at how many people just didn't like this movie in comparison to the people that made it, meaning the, the folks behind the camera and in front of the camera. There, there's a little bit of pedigree attached to this thing, and it just got certainly trashed by a lot of critics. But, you know, please, let's oh, let's share a few.
1: Definitely. So this one's from Roper. I'm sure that some country, maybe France or something, will hail this as a work of genius because it is so incredibly awful.
2: Oh, that's <laughs> France.
3: Wow.
1: <laughs> that's a dig at France. <laughs> wow. Wow. Yeah.
2: Is that is that because of all the Jerry sure Lewis films appreciate that one? I hate France. I mean, for, not the people No, the people are kind of
1: assholes too, but um
3: is <laughs> Roper still mad about World War II like you surrendered so fast. Mm.
1: This one is from the Ethics and Public Policy Center. Uh, let's see. There is, in any case, only so much of this kind of comedy one can take, and it is not so much as will fill out the length of a future film.
2: Uh, okay. All right. They don't get out much.
1: Um, and then here's another one from Living Life Fearless. It takes really big swings, most of which miss, and when a comedy tries to go this dark and it doesn't work, the result is just plain unpleasant so
2: uh, who's that from living what
1: living life fearless That's the hell's that the I, I probably some i don't french, know i bet you it's a but french
2: in, website is what it is maybe yeah
1: but I, in researching this i could not find a review on a website that was like better than yes it's an okay film almost everyone trashes on this even those saying hey this is this move this film got trashed on it's 10 years later. Let's revisit it. Or I even found one 20 years later. So it was a recent watch and they're still people are not fans of this film. So I'm very curious to see what you guys have to say about it.
2: Uh, let's, let's talk about Danny DeVito. So this all kind of, in my opinion, rests on the shoulder of Danny DeVito more than anybody else. And I don't think a lot of people know Danny DeVito, how many things he's involved in. So when you're talking about the people behind the camera and in front of the camera, he's both in this film. But when you talk about Danny DeVito as a creative, 144 acting credits, 49 producing credits, and I believe he was nominated as a producer for an Academy Award for Aaron Brockovich. Um, And he has 24 directing credits. Now, a lot of those are shorts because he started directing in 1973 with a short called The Sound Sleeper. But he had directed episodes of the TV series Taxi when he was on that. His first theatrical film was Throw Mama from the Train in 1987. He followed that up. And Throw Mama from the Train with him and Billy Crystal, I, I think, was a commercial success. And critics loved it, too. And then you get The War of the Roses in 1989, another big commercial success. A little bit of a critical darling, too, um, because he's really getting his footing as uh, a director here. Now, he follows that up with a big box office bomb, and it's 1992's Hoffa. And what's funny is Roper, or I think it's Siskel and Ebert at that point, they did like Hoffa, because if you get the Blu-ray, they actually put the Siskel and Ebert review of Hoffa on there, so... Danny DeVito can kind of show off that they loved Hoffa so much. It was nominated for cinematography and I think makeup. Um, and it stars Jack Nicholson. He follows that up with Matilda in 96, doesn't direct for a while, comes to death to Smoochie in 2002 and then does duplex in 2003. So before we talk about DeVito as an actor, comedian or anything else that he's done, cause he's done a ton of movies. He's done a heck of a lot of TV shows what do you think about his movies as a director? I'll, I'll start with you, Nathan.
1: So a good number of them I have still not seen. I created this nice long list of to-be-seen films, not just with him, but also some of the stars of this film. I've not seen anything that he's responsible for that I've disliked. I've always enjoyed it. So Okay. Um, and I'm trying to remember which ones. I'm not going to recall quickly, so go ahead and move on to Brad. All right, Brad. What, what's your take on him?
3: Um, the war of the roses is is great i think it's a great film um as is hoffa i believe i I haven't seen hoffa in a long time but i remember really really liking it it's a great jack nicholson performance um matilda we watched a lot in elementary school no probably middle school at that point in time and uh i think i saw duplex once and i was not a fan but those other three are, are you know, at least Hoffa and the War of the Roses. I like Throw Mama from the Train, I don't know if I've seen
2: Oh, you, you need to so <sighs> I love Throw Mama from the Train. I I think it's pretty brilliant. I mean it's a take on Alfred Hitchcock's Strangers on a Train, which is
3: See, and that's why I've I i do not know. I don't know if I can do that.
2: Yeah, it's my favorite Hitchcock film, and I think he does a great job of taking that premise and playing with it. And yeah. him and Crystal are just magic on screen. They're they're fantastic. Um and you, you get him moving from that into some, and throw Mom on the train is, is some very dark comedy. It gets really dark in war of the roses and war of the roses. I, again, I think is brilliant. The two films I had not seen him direct was Hoffa and duplex. And I corrected that this week by watching Hoffa Hoffa. I think we're going to talk about at some point because it was mm-hmm. a bomb. Yep. And I was really fascinated with Jack Nicholson's performance, I was fascinated with a lot of that film. And uh, having recently watched The Irishman, what a couple of years ago, man, it makes a nice companion piece to that in terms of, you know, the the story of Jimmy Hoffa and the mystique and how he died and and how he lived. And I, I think Danny DeVito, I mean, he's he's a he's a a very big um, proponent of the Democratic Party, huge Bernie Sanders fan. So even when he made Hoffa, he went to go, you know, speak with the Teamsters. Um, and Hoffa's a pretty complicated historical figure because if you think about how many people look at him as a major influence in sort of the Labor Party, but then weigh that up against all the corruption and how uh, this guy, <laughs> there, there is no black and white. <laughs> I mean, it is the darkest gray you could get. And I think DeVito does a really good job in Hoffa of balancing, you know, why even to this day, the labor party kind of holds him up on a pedestal, but at the same time, all of the batshit, crazy, dirty stuff that he did in his career. And DeVito treats both sides um, in a very interesting way. So I would love to spend time talking about that. But DeVito as a director, I think is really good. Um, and it is a really good storyteller. And, and, Brad, I would definitely say if you haven't seen Throw Mama from the Train, don't shy away from it because of what it's borrowing from. You got to check it out. It's so good. Okay.
3: Will do. I'll correct that. Uh, a
2: screenplay by Adam Resnick. I thought this was interesting. So, Adam Resnick wrote for David Letterman from 86 to 92. Um, he also wrote and was the creator for Chris Elliott's TV series, Get a Life. Uh, he did the this movie we may have to talk about at some point 1994's cabin boy starring chris elliott i think david letterman has a cameo in there and the only other film that i think adam's done is lucky numbers from 2000 with john travolta and lisa kudrow and he's done a few tv movies and episodes for a show called divorce but not a real deep um filmography when it comes to screenplays and we have cinematography by anastas in mikos i (laughs) He has an interesting filmography. He's done stuff like Texas Chainsaw in 2013, Cadillac Records in 2008. He worked with Danny DeVito again on Duplex in 2003. And he also shot Man in the Moon, um, the Ooh. Kaufman movie in 99. Yeah. So let's talk about the cast. I'm, I'm really curious on your take because I, I think right out of the gate, we got to talk about Robin Williams. And uh, I think your enjoyment of this film rests on how well you enjoy the manic side of Robin Williams. So Brad, Robin, Robin Williams fan. Uh,
3: yeah, I I would say for the most part, um, you know, he was genie to me for a long time. Mrs. Doubtfire, um, hook, a big part of my life, Jumanji as well. Um, and then of course you go back and you have things like good morning, Vietnam, The poet society, um, you know, even things like world's greatest dad, I think is very underrated. Um, one hour photo, he goes dark. Um, he will go to his manic side a lot. And what we know about Robin Williams now that dark side is a little bit scarier because you can tell he is pulling from some places that, um, kind of make you a little bit uncomfortable seeing it now. Um, seeing him light himself on fire and, and talk about that stuff was, uh, kind of hard knowing his fate. Right. And, uh, but you know, I, I, think he was brilliant at times. Um, obviously like goodwill hunting is, is a brilliant performance. Um, when he goes to that place, he can either be brilliant or annoying. And the line is very thin. Um, sometimes like patch Adams, it's like, okay, this is too much. Other times it's not. Um, here, I think he walks that line. Um, but I think that happens to do with the other people around him. But we'll get to that.
1: Okay. What about you, Nathan? Uh, kind of to touch on everything uh, Brad did, Insomnia is another one that came out. Um, I think there's it's kind of referred to as the Dark Trilogy for Williams, which is you had that's a Smoochie, one-hour photo, Insomnia, where he kind of plays these deranged characters. and. To, to further what brad said to know kind of where he ended up and it, it It makes I think watching any of those I think uncomfortable at this point in some ways
2: Yeah, I I can honestly say I was never a huge fan uh, robin williams fan just He was one of those actors that just because he was in a film I, I was never really automatically gonna watch it now, the Robin Williams that I grew up was the Mork and Mindy in the early comedies, et cetera. So the Robin Williams performances that I like are the more darker stuff. Like my favorite film that he's ever done is probably The Fisher King in 91. I, I, Terry Gilliam's film I think is awesome and he's fantastic in there. Um, but I liked him in Cadillac Man from 1990. You, you talked about 2002. I mean, Death to Smoochie came out. He did Insomnia and One Hour Photo. So, I, I like him more as a dramatic actor than I do from his comedy, but it's crazy. I, I never put two two together about how many awards um, that he was nominated for. He won an Oscar for Best Supporting Actor for Goodwill Hunting.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: He was nominated for Fisher King in 91 Dead Poet Society in 89 and Good Morning Vietnam in 87. So he, he's certainly an accomplished actor, but I, I can honestly tell you that there's a point in time when you get into the 90s and beyond. I liked Robin Williams as a dramatic actor, never really cared for anything and his dramatic stuff hit or miss. I mean, you, you talked about one, Brad patch Adams. There's also Jack and, uh, some of the other stuff he did where it's like, nah, it's not for me. And most of the time his comedy was hit or miss in my opinion. Uh, that leads us to Edward Norton, Ed Norton, Sheldon mopes, uh, smoochy <laughs> the rhino. Uh, st- I, I didn't even think about this. Um, he started, <laughs> I thought this was kind of funny, uh, with a educational anthology video featuring eight funny shorts designed to help people learn American English at beginner level. It was called Only in America in 1994. That's his first IMDb credit. He really hits the scene with 1996's Primal Fear.
3: Yeah, and I I heard I heard a, a an interview, I believe it was with Matt Damon, talking about at the time all the all the up and coming actors were going for that primal fear role, because they knew just how big it was going to be Mm -hmm. and how important that role was going to be for their career. And once they heard that Edward Norton was going for it, they all knew that they weren't going to get it. So I think at the time people knew Ed Norton was going to be the guy. I don't really know if he ever reaches the point of being the guy, but he definitely has some movies that are pretty iconic. I mean, he has two for sure um, yeah, he was, he was doing
2: theater anyway. about that time yeah. and, and he got some reputation for that. So you're right. When he tried out for primal fear, I'm sorry, Nathan, yeah. you're going to say something.
1: No, I was going to say, along with those iconic movies, you have American history X as well.
2: Which... Oh yeah. Yep. Yeah. He 96. He had some bank. Okay. Primal fear. Everyone says, I love you. And people versus Larry Flint, all 96 American history X in 98 rounders in 98 fight club in 99 uh, he does his first directing effort, "Keeping the Faith" in 2000, which is okay. It's it's a yeah. nice little rom com. Um, does the score in 2001, which I think is a great heist movie that he does with Brando. I mean, he came out swinging strong. Um, he's directed a couple of films uh, outside, so he did "Keeping the Faith" and "Motherless Brooklyn," which is okay. I I really liked him as a as a, you know the Incredible Hulk. I I like that film. Um, I really wish they would have done more with it. And then, of course, more recently, the French Dispatch. Did you guys ever catch that? Yeah. yeah. Okay. You he, liked that maybe a lot, didn't you? I did, yeah. And he's good in that, too.
3: I've not
1: caught that one yet.
3: I'm not a huge Wes Anderson guy either, but I, I like that one.
2: Yeah, I think Ed Norton still has a lot of runway in his career. And platform. he was good in
1: Birdman.
3: Birdman is a, a weird movie, yeah. but I like Birdman a lot, and I liked Edward Norton in it. Yeah. I, I
2: yep. Is it? did you guys hear this too? So this is one of those like, Hey, let's get some Hollywood dish. But I've always heard Ed Norton was very difficult to work with and a bit yeah. of a prima Donna, but you don't hear that about him. I, I would say lately anymore. I, I don't know if age or whatnot is caught up with him and he's kind of calmed down. Um, but I know he had a reputation there for being a little bit difficult in the beginning.
3: No, I think that was something that might've held him back a little bit. Cause I think he did get that reputation of kind of being an asshole.
2: Yeah. Allegedly. Uh, Allegedly. Uh, Allegedly. Neither of us worked with him, so we don't know. Uh, Catherine Keener as Nora Wells, she's been on the show before. We talked about her when we reviewed the brilliant Hamlet 2 from 2008. Oh, yes. Um, She's been in Being John Malkovich, 40-Year-Old Virgin, Get Out, uh, more recently in 2017. Uh, Danny DeVito, so this guy is acting, directing, producing. So at the time that he was working on this film, he was also starring in a film. And it's kind of interesting because he was doing a film, Heist, that came out in 2001, which is a David Mamet film. And I believe he and Ed Norton were working around in the same place because Ed Norton was shooting the score. They were doing these two Heist films at the same time. And they got together and he showed Ed Norton the screenplay to Death to Smoochie and that's how um, he kind of got Ed Norton into it. But I think he was originally going after Ed Norton to play the Rainbow Randolph um, part. Uh, and, and Ed Norton goes, nope, I want Smoochie. <laughs> uh, Jon Stewart makes an appearance. Uh, so John the Stewart's-
3: worst haircut you've ever seen. Yeah,
2: as uh, <laughs> Marion Frank Stokes, and he has a haircut that matches that name. Um, and Jon Stewart was doing The Daily Show from 96 to 2020. We get Danny Woodburn as Angelo Pike. Now, you'll know him um, as Mickey from Seinfeld. He was Kramer's friend, mm-hmm. right? You he used it. the lips. Yes, he, he was uh, heightening. Was that what they yep. called it? He was accused of heightening? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Harvey Fierstein as Merv Fire Green. Fierstein, Okay. Uh, you'll know him from Mrs. Doubtfire. You get Vincent Schiavelli as buggy ding dong <laughs> that name <laughs> and you'll know you'll know vincent from his face he's got a face uh, you also yes. know him from the adventures of buckaroo Banzai across the eighth dimension which we talked about earlier True. that's when you um bought me domino's pizza yeah and i visited yeah. that, that special night special night and then uh the, the only other person i want to mention because i think he'll come up in our discussion is michael raspoli as spinner dunn And I I think uh, he ends up playing a couple of different characters in the Smoochie TV show. Um, Did you know Smoochie was nominated for some awards? Did you know that?
3: Yes. Probably, I'm going to guess the Razzies, right?
2: Well, (laughs) under the Golden Schmoes, it was a nominee for most underrated movie of the year, which I have no idea what the Golden Schmoes are. That just showed up in research. Um, And I thought this was interesting it was nominated for a Razzie Award. Worst Supporting Actor, Robin Williams. Guess who he lost to? 2002. What, 2002? Yep. Uh, it would be the second film in a prequel oh, trilogy. Attack of the Clones? Yes, he lost to Hayden Christensen.
3: Hayden Christensen. Yeah. <laughs> oh, geez. He hates sand. I hate sand. And, and rightfully
1: so.
2: Yeah. Yep. And, and I mentioned this a little bit before when we talk about production and development. So uh, the film was financed by the British production company, film four, and you shared the box office numbers, Brad, uh, it, it did so badly and it's box office failure was one of the key factors in the company's demise. So film four isn't around anymore. And a lot of people contributed to the performance of death to smoochie. So there we go. That's all the uh, tidbits of information. And again, on paper, it does not make any sense. Now, Hoffa, I think, going into debt to Smoochie, Danny DeVito, from a directing perspective, had a polarized movie with Hoffa, even though it was nominated for a couple Academy Awards. Um, Siskel and Ebert, or Roper at the time, really liked it. But I think overall, critics were divided on it. But he, he you know, it's, Danny DeVito was still, I think, um, a very popular director especially came to dark comedies and then if you look at the cast of people that were involved in this thing i i'm really surprised that this thing just didn't come out much higher in box office i don't know what you guys think everything on paper just looked really good on this
3: this is back in the day i think when bad word of mouth could kill a movie instantly and yeah you're reading these reviews and it's like this is dark and just not anything that someone should go see and people will we talked about the films in March. There was so much more to see. And if they're talking about how this movie doesn't work, why waste your time? That's true. That I mean I mean critics critics at that point in time were their word was pretty much gold and it, it carried you know, a lot of weight.
1: I mean that's pre social media, so you had no other like, you know, you know, guerrilla campaigns or anything like that to keep the word out. Like you had to market it correctly and or have the critics talk it up or else you get killed.
3: And I'm sorry. Do you want to go see a movie where Edward Norton plays a kid show host dressed as a rhino? Like that's just a weird sell.
2: Um, I did. And we went (laughs) because we saw the trailer. and We're like, yeah, we want to see that. I think I think it's funny when, you know, people are like, there's nobody this movie. Who who is this movie made for? I'm talking Um, to two of them. You're talking to two of them (laughs) who saw it uh, because we were pretty excited about it. Uh, Just the premise alone seemed very oddballish. Yeah. I, I mean, obviously, there weren't a ton of movie podcasts around to champion some of this stuff either. Right. So let, let's get into it. I'm really curious on everybody's thoughts. So Nathan, God, I'm going to start with Nathan, you.
3: Nathan has been waiting so long to talk about this. Yeah, you've, on this you've been waiting a go.
2: couple of years on this one. It's episode, I think, 114, 112. I don't know what it is. Or
3: 13, no, so 113,
2: I believe. No, is that yeah. one? Yeah, it's 113. Yeah, it's your pick. Yeah. That's right. You do the odds. Uh, so Nathan, you, you got to revisit this for the upteenth time. What was your new take on Death to Smoochie?
1: Past me was correct in liking this film. <laughs> <laughs> okay.
2: two years and whew,
1: I know I know I know damn uh, call it stage fright call it what you will No, and all the times I think about re- revisiting this film and if I'm watching it with someone rarely I, I can't think of a, a scenario in which I've watched it with someone and they did not enjoy it so maybe that's the people I surround myself with um six c- senses of humor I'm not sure um but yeah, I still enjoyed this thoroughly. Um, we watched it today. Um, both of the other guys I was watching with uh, neither could really fully remember it, and we were just laughing our asses off.
2: Okay, uh, Brad, your your initial take on this thing? Because yeah, so, was this a first time watch
3: for you? Yeah, first time watch for me. Oh. I, I think I've seen bits and pieces of this before because some of the scenes I had I had remembered, um, but I I can tell you that. When this came out in 2002 ish. Like this was not something that I would have would have gone out to see. Um, I was more of a panic room guy at the time, as opposed to Death of Smoochie. Oh, you're in your pretentious phase. Yeah, huh? I know. I know. Give me Fincher. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, you know, I I didn't realize because I didn't really look at what this movie was about. I just thought it was Edward Norton playing rhino, and turns out it's a very uh, Actor-driven satirical dark comedy, um, and it is dark. Let's like it. It goes to some places, and I actually really enjoy dark comedy a lot. And I think it's might be because I'm a little bit twisted myself. Um, but I, I enjoy things like this, and I enjoy when they go for the gusto on the darkness, and they're trying to say something about corruption, about the exploitation of like. Kids' TV and the, the doggy dog, yeah, yeah doggy dog world of corporate America. Troy and Nathan, you know it too. Like, <laughs> oh, I, whole, mean,
2: I love how you're like Troy. Like, yes, I, yeah. uh, I, yeah, actually, Troy, my company is responsible for all back. of the candy cigarettes that uh, yeah. have Smoochie the Rhino on it. Yep, that's yeah. right.
3: Um, you know, I, I actually was surprised at how little I kind of laughed at this movie, but in return, how much I really, really enjoyed it. Um, I, I do have some qualms about the third act, but um, and I, I think some of the storytelling and some of the C&D plots are a little bit uh, unnecessary. I, I think the movie at 109 minutes is a hard sell. I think if you could cut it down to like 90 minutes, I think it's better. If you get rid of some of the other mob stuff, it, it just seems like it's... Harvey Harvey Scene's character doesn't really do anything he and i think he can make this movie work without him it's just weird that he's in this movie um because he's like gets killed in the second act and you're like okay like that's weird um but anyway i i was pleasantly surprised at how much i enjoyed this movie um i don't think it's like a like a all-time great or anything like that but i definitely think it's uh, a really good dark comedy and um you know i, I a part of that is because you have Robin Williams going for it. And again, we, if you're okay with Robin Williams being turned up to 11, uh, but the darkness of him is really at times scary again, because we know what happened to Robin Williams in his suicide. Looking back at this, you're like, Oh man, like it might be a little uncomfortable seeing him in this movie. Uh, Cause there are some times where he's like suicidal. You're like, I don't know if I want to see this. Um, I I didn't even, you said that. And now
2: when I'm watching this film, I don't think
3: about that. Oh, that was the first thing I saw when when I saw his character start to devolve. I was like, Oh man, this, he's pulling from some things I think that uh, make me uncomfortable because they're there in his real life. And it's like, Oh, we, again, you don't really associate that with actors because you're like, Oh, they're just acting. I don't know if Robin Williams is acting in this movie, and that's scary. Um, I, I will tell you the reason why this movie works, and it's Ed Norton. If Ed Norton doesn't just go into that character, this movie doesn't work. Um, the fact that he literally does something like Fight Club three years earlier and then does this movie is beyond me. It's beyond me. And like <laughs> American History X, you're like, these characters are messed up. And he kind of like uses that in this, in this character and Mopes is like weird and kind of this pushover. Um, But it all works. And I think it works because Ed Norton really goes for it. They're all swinging in this movie. And uh, I think that helps a lot. And of course you have Jon Stewart with the worst haircut of all time. (laughs) Um, God, that's embarrassing. Um, Catherine Keener as like the, as the kind of your, your love interest is okay. Um, you know, you, you see an act one fight, you know, in act two and act three, at some point in time, they're going to get together and it all works out. Oh Yeah. They're going to bonk.
2: Yeah. That's, yep. that's yep. what's going to happen.
3: Yep. Is that Still what the kids say Call it today? Bonking. Yeah, sure. Troy. Yeah. Okay. Bonking. Yep. 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 Anyway, um, I think this movie is pretty great to be honest with you.
2: I, I- one comment you made and I just want to ask you guys. So Ed Norton, uh, I will echo your thoughts on that. I think he's the best thing about this film. Like oh, if, if you, by far, if you want to, if you want to go back and gauge how good Ed Norton is, you could look at all of the movies we talked about when we, we kind of talked about his filmography. But to me, I would always go back to this one because his performance is so good without it. I don't think the movie works at all.
3: No, it, it hinges on the performance of Edward Norton.
2: Yeah, and and I really love all of the performances when you've got Ed and Robin Williams together. And probably my only gripe is there's not enough of that. So I, I agree. I, I, I kind agree. of agree they, with they you. Should,
3: they should have a more of a quarrel on camera more often because when they're together, that darkness and him being so kind of aloof and... and um, kind of a squeaky clean character that it's a good contrast um with each other and i wish it was like you said happen more often
2: yeah cuz there's there's one line so this is the line i always remember from ed norton and and <laughs> it's, it's to me this movie makes me chuckle a lot there's one line that makes me kind of laugh out loud though but most of this you're is this the line
3: when your boss drunk <laughs> No <laughs>
2: okay it's it's Ed Norton's getting all worked up about like violence and stuff like that. Somebody handing him a gun. And he makes this comment that he goes, <laughs> when all the kids are playing cowboys and Indians, I was the one playing the Chinese railroad. Worker. <laughs> I laugh out loud every time I hear that because he has such conviction uh, in that statement. And I can't imagine anybody else delivering a line like that. And just you go, oh, my God, I believe it. I, I believe mopes. That's yep. exactly mopes as a kid. And and what's funny is he makes these little passing about when I went to anger management in college. I mean, he clearly had some issues and smoochy is his way of dealing it. But yeah, I agree with you. Now, now the question I have for both of you, here's here's my take on w- watching it, because n- no mistake, like Nathan said, we saw it opening weekend. We talked about it quite a bit in the parking lot afterwards. Uh, we were we were really impressed with it. This time around though, um I'm watching Death to Smoochie and and knowing Danny DeVito and, and I, I want to get your guys' opinion on his direction in this, but Death to Smoochie didn't this time it, it it had a couple of belly laughs, mostly chuckles, but the bite felt a little more dull. Like instead of having fangs and kind of going after some of the social stuff, it, 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 I don't know. It felt like dentures kind of coming after you a little bit more than the fangs. And in my head, I'm like, why is that? Why, why does this feel a little tame in 2022 compared to 2002? And the only thing I can think of is I've seen like 12, 13, actually there might be on 14 or 15 seasons now of it's always sunny in Philadelphia. Yeah. And I absolutely adore that show because it it takes I mean, you want to talk about social commentary. There are some episodes in there that it is blatantly a big finger to like the American public opinion on some things and in the institution. And it does it in such a funny way that you don't expect it. And of course, that's a Danny DeVito show as well. And, and him as the character, Frank, is fantastic. It's one of Danny DeVito's best roles. But I think after that many seasons of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, Death to Smoochie feels a little bit like, yeah, it's it's a always sunny light movie version. Um, but I, I don't know what you guys you know think about that with all of the comedies and social commentaries that have come out with shows like It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Does Death to Smoochie in 2022 still have that same um, bite uh, in comparison to some of the stuff that's out there? Uh, Nathan, do you what do you think? Because I know you're a fan of this film.
1: So I think for me, it still cuts enough. And I think part of it might be, and I think one of the reasons I appreciate this so much, is I grew up in an era where Barney became a big thing mm-hmm. and Teletubbies became a big thing. And this, I didn't catch it maybe in 2002 when I initially saw it, but like watching it as the years have progressed, see that the kind of the theme of the exploitation of children and corruption. And so... I don't think that's gone away. In fact, it's maybe only gotten worse. Oh, it's got, and you, don't, you watched, don't have kids, right? I haven't Amen. watched as much always sunny. So maybe it's not doled this film as much. Um, that that's a theory.
2: So it, you're spot on. So you don't, you don't have kids. Um, Brad, right. Brad and I do. And your comment about it's commentary on like children's TV or the exploitation of like children's
3: entertainment it's like we're there now. So it's like, it's not Oh, like they've absolutely. leaned into that turn. Oh,
1: like Disney, if you, all if them, you notice in the opening scene, the kids, they're pouring out of a pot of gold.
3: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, and, and, and like my son is big into like all these people and like these kids shows and like where we were. Curi- like I'm curious on some of these people's backstory. So one of them is like this little kid. His name is Ryan. He does these toy reviews, and we were looking into like at one point in time, his parents didn't. He didn't want to do it anymore, but his parents like forced him to keep doing it because he was making like twenty million dollars a year. Holy and shit! He like had a a deal with Target for all this stuff. Like you can find right. his toys at Target, and it's in that just straight up exporting your child so you like can make all this money. And and so like this is like, yeah, of course, of course, like this is what happens. This is what always happens. If you put money involved in anything, we're going to exploit the hell out of these kids or these dumb like networks. And, and you know, a part of this is like eh, it really doesn't matter what we put into this goddamn time slot. These dumb kids <laughs> will watch anything. And that's kind of what happens in this movie um is yeah. like it it doesn't really matter so mr rogers who cares put barney in there is it a woman that talks with sock puppets sure whatever that hell that lady is <laughs> lamb chop was. yeah lamb chop lamb yeah for chop. real so yeah you think we were talking about Lamb chop today um but <laughs> you know
1: it, it, again there, there was a popular song in that wasn't there what
3: popular <laughs> was there?
1: song that never ends
2: oh yeah oh god oh my god yeah <laughs> You son of a bitch! God,
3: um, dang it, Nathan! God damn it!
1: Oh. Doesn't it go on and on, my friend?
3: Yeah, son shut of up. Sh- okay. Up. Um, but yeah, like we're there, man. We're we've exploited kids forever. I mean, but we weren't immune to it either. Like GI Joe, they made a cartoon. Oh, not at all. Whoa, whoa, whoa,
2: whoa! Us. GI Joe is yes. totally different.
3: Okay. Okay.
2: Totally guys. different. You
3: can tell that. Okay.
2: That was about patriotism. Was
1: was there shampoo for GI
2: Joe? Shut up! Yeah, there was. There was everything (laughs) GI Joe. Okay, Star Wars. All of it. Um, And that that was all about storytelling. It wasn't about selling toys. No. It was about American patriotism and storytelling. So let's not put G.I. Joe out there. Let's let's say the the fact that we got. He-Man. He-Man was all about the commercial stuff. G.I. Joe was was more about patriotism. So Mm -hmm. I.
3: I mean, it's 50-50. The reason we got Empire Strikes Back is so George Lucas could sell us more toys. Well, that's. Yeah, Mm -hmm. that's true. I don't
2: believe any of that whole. I wrote 12 chapters, but only started with the fourth one. No, absolutely not.
3: A turkey neck wanted money.
2: Yeah, well, he remade Hidden Fortress and there you go. He's going to make more of them. Well, I got to ask you guys, so uh and, and maybe this maybe Brad'll have a good answer. Nathan, I don't know without having kids, you probably haven't gone through this, but my kids are are now, you know, one's in college, the other one's in high school. But we we've grew up with, you know, our own sets, not GI Joe that was all about patriotism in the American way. Um, but everything else, we had our stuff, right? But my kids, they, they went through the whole thing, like Disney, and there was a time period where they got, uh, you know, the Wiggles, like uh, that fruit salad song. Oh, my God. Um, yummy, yummy. Yeah. Even the Christians <laughs> with their veggie tales, they made some bank oh, on Oh, yeah. they were indoctrinated in right? some way. Yeah. So I got to ask, like, what is the craziest toy crossover from a kid's television show that you've seen?
3: Oh, boy. Uh my kids are really into this dumbass blue dog called Bluey right now, and I think it's from the BBC. They're What's it called? Str- Bluey? Bluey? Bluey. Yeah, he's a blue dog. Uh, okay. They talk. It's not, the, it's not the blue dog with the... No, that's Blue's Clues.
2: Oh, yeah, because I, I have a shirt that's the green and blue, and and every time I wore that, uh, everybody hands me a notebook, and I fucking oh, hate it. Yeah. Here's the clue. Yeah, I um, hate that. I, I burned that shirt. I don't have it anymore.
3: I don't know, man. It's just weird, because it's everywhere uh you know if girls they have uh jojo whatever her name is you know
2: i can tell you uh, the weirdest thing i've ever seen so this is when toys R Us was still around it's a big deal oh r.i.p yeah um and we're we're living in in uh, the clarkshire clarksville area and so we go to the saint matthews mall in louisville mm-hmm. there, there was a toys R Us right next to it so we're going through there again wiggle's a big thing there's wiggle toys and there was a character in there that was a pirate or captain and he had a feather sword and you could buy in a, in a kid's thing, like a, a feather sword. Now, the minute I see that, I'm like, this is somebody's something, getting off on that. Yes. <laughs> I feel like this is something my wife would <laughs> and I would buy, not, not my <laughs> daughter or my son. What is a feather sword? doing in a Toys R Us. That is the weirdest thing. Like I felt Troy, like it was the wrong. If
3: part. you get your taint tickled by a feather, you're, I'll tell you what it's all about. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez.
2: But it's stuff like that where you're just like, man, they just make it too easy for some of this stuff to be so inappropriate. But I, I do think that's where the script um, by Adam Resnick is really good because it does the ice show thing. It, um, it starts with this whole corporate boardroom going through like, well, what cereals are we going to do? the, uh, and they even show like Spring rainbow
1: cheese.
2: Yeah, all of that stuff.
1: Shampoo. There was a Frisbee. They're talking chocolates. There's even mention of floor wax at one point.
3: Nice.
2: Yeah. Well, I, of course. I mean, and I think the script actually nails that stuff. When you take a step back and how smart it is at getting the exploitation elements right of that business um, and really what the corporation is going for, it, it really does a good job of laying that all, out there.
3: Yeah, I mean, it hits everything that you would think a a, a film talking about corporations and corruption and exploitation. It, it hits all those high notes, right? Like it, it doesn't do anything unexpected, but it it does them well. But it there's no curveballs in this movie. There's not. I mean, it it <laughs> I guess it points them out. I,
2: I don't know if it the and here's the other thing you said it, the performances really take this thing and put it into the, I would say, not a bomb camp. Without the performances, I think the script would be a little bit flat because the script is just laying it all out there. But it's the absurdity of the performances that add the heightened awareness of these situations. Um, And that's the only thing I would say that the script maybe lacks is a few more absurdist elements to it. I mean, it, it just lays out the stuff that's out there, and it's like, look, your kids are being exploited. And when you take a step back, you go, "Wow, that's that's very true." Well, like the it,
3: the most like screwball thing is like the boxer who's brain dead. Oh,
2: You're the like, uh, okay. spinner done, yeah,
3: yeah, spinner done, yeah. Um, that's true. I yeah, which is like my least favorite part of this movie, to be honest. Like that whole thing, it's just it's just I, not funny I, to me.
2: I like Michael uh, Rispoli and Ed Norton when they're together. I mean, he. He's very absurd in his performance, but I think he sells it off to where there's there's some comedy to it. it. It's not insulting what he's doing. I like it.
3: Well, yeah, because they do explain it off as him being a boxer with brain damage. Now yeah. they could have turned it into something that was really offensive and really didn't play well in 2022. But he was a boxer who just got punched a million times um, and left smooshy. He does, yeah. Yeah. Why, yeah. Well, how could you not? What, what did you think um, about? I didn't think I was going to get someone, a woman yelling cocksucker in the first like four minutes of this movie. I was like, oh, OK, here we
2: go. OK, if we're talking about like the first few minutes of film. So Tabitha and I are watching it. So she's still in her cone of shame from the neck surgery. And um, she
3: on those good drugs still, because this movie would probably be pretty good on the drugs. Yeah, I, I, she enjoyed the
2: film. I mean, she's okay. seen it before. So but the Rainbow Ralph uh, Ra- Rainbow Randolph song comes on and there's some parts where we both looked at each other and I had to ask him like, did, did they say that? Or did, did I just mishear that? So (laughs) Robin Williams is dancing around and there was, there were two lyrics in there and I want to just make sure you guys heard the same thing. He, he says like, uh, you know, everybody wants to, it's rainbow. Don't judge people. Everybody loves each other. Some like to toss and some like to catch. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, what? (laughs) Mm-hmm. So that made me pause. Mm-hmm. And then he goes, and some people call it grass and others call it snatch. Snatch. <laughs> and we both looked at each other like, did did he say grass and snatch <laughs> in his song to the little kids?
3: <laughs> yeah, but... <laughs> yep. No one calls it grass, right? Like, I guess if there's grass on the field, you play... Is, is that what they're...
2: I don't know where... I just... I thought... I thought the grass on the field and the snatch thing in that kid song with uh, Rainbow Randolph. I was like, "Really? That's how you're starting your movie? Okay, that's you're you're swinging pretty hard right out of the gate in your opening scene." Um, and and that's the thing. I mean, Ed Norton is fantastic on this. Um, Robin Williams. See, now that you say it, I can kind of see some of that painful element to his performance. But that aside, I still think he's really good in this film.
3: No, I, I I think he's brilliant in this movie. It's just hard looking back, knowing what we know. Now, in 2002, you didn't know that in whatever, 15 years, it was going to end like it did. Here, when you're looking back, it's dark and it's scary. Yeah. Um, I, I would think at the time, it was like, wow, he's really going for it here. Um, I do like the little girl that, like, comes to him when he's trying to catch himself on fire and then uh, Smoochie comes out and they all just start running away and he's like
1: god damn it <laughs> he's like what does it all mean <laughs> Yeah. Okay. I
3: mean, he is really swinging for the fences in this movie and like we've yeah. talked about before he's walking that line where at any moment you could be like, alright this is too much like too much Robin Williams and I think it's I think Robin Williams is better as a supporting actor
1: I agree with that so, I, I agree yeah so you mentioned that line. I imagine that line is different for for everyone else. So is that maybe why it was not so well received?
2: I have to uh, I don't know. I this this movie I will 100% say is not for everybody. Only because I think you have to like you have you have to like humor that is similar to something like It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. That that type of humor, right?
3: I don't know. Okay, so I can see why this movie did not do well. I don't know if I could be in a boardroom making decisions on where to spend money and someone says, I've got this idea for this movie. I need $50 million. I'm saying there's no way in hell. You could do it for 25 but then you're not getting the cast because I think a lot of this money went to getting Ed Norton, Robin Williams. You know, that's probably a substantial bit of your money right there. Robin Williams is probably getting five to ten million dollars at this point in time right and norton's probably getting another five as well
1: um we've stated it probably doesn't work without them yeah it doesn't work without so miniature i mean yeah
3: yeah so you can't make this movie without them so therefore you need 50 million dollars but there's no way in hell this movie is going to make 75 to 100 where you need it to break even
2: yeah. The, the only thing I can think of is, and I'm, I'm trying to think about his DeVito's other two dark comedies. So the the one thing DeVito does, um, and I'm sure he has a hand in this as director, right? He's really good at getting the right cast together. So if you think about throw mama from the train, you get Billy Crystal, Danny DeVito and Anne Ramsey. I think Anne Ramsey, uh, that was her last film and she might've won an Academy award for best supporting actress. Um, that if we only had this thing called the internet to tell us that.
3: Yeah. So she Anne Ramsey betray. Uh, so she won a Saturn and and was nominated for a golden globe and an Academy award for best supporting actress.
2: She's nominated. Okay. So that, that movie works so well because of those three performances, and then when you think of War of the Roses between, and um, so
3: that movie cost fourteen million dollars and made fifty six million dollars.
2: Yeah, so they're they're not like these huge set the world on fire box office box office numbers, but there there is a audience out there for that dark comedy. Throw Mama from the Train is a dark comedy, um, and it works, and it and those three performances are what put it together.
3: And, and War think- of the Roses makes is $26 million. So still not a whole lot of money. It makes one sixty. Well yeah.
2: yeah. But you've got Michael Douglas, Kathleen Turner, mm-hmm. Danny DeVito. So they're teaming up again from the romance yeah, of well- the stone jewel of the Nile series. Right.
3: And, and, and so you can see the, the kind of the overall motif of his movies is let's have two big actors.
2: Yes. I, I think he's got to get two and then a really good supporting cast. He's always in these as well. Um, And I think that's where I think the difference, though, is throw mama from the train is very much uh, more screwball like in its comedy. And it does this very dark thing about murdering your mother. Right. And you get War of the Roses, which, again, is another dark comedy about divorce. And I think those two, unfortunately, are a little bit more relatable to a wider audience, like struggling with your parents, especially overbearing mother and then going through divorce. This one, given the topic, I think it gets all of the ingredients right, but I don't know how many people are looking at this kid's TV show like um, dark undercurrent of what's going on. And that really has this universal appeal from a storytelling perspective. I still think it's good and all of the elements are there. I just don't think it resonates with the general public the way that a divorce, um, like a bad divorce or trying to murder one of your parents seems to be more universal. Like those themes, as ugly as they are, are probably um, resonate with a wider audience than it is like kids' TV.
3: So, and we're still what three years from forty-year-old version. So that kind of kicks off our rated R comedy. So this one's like a little bit before its time too, because we're still kind of in that like oh let's for that be, wave
2: that two thousand-ish wave, like, wave. Yeah, let's
3: be more dumb and dumber, Tommy Boy sort of comedy where it's uh, a little bit safer. Um, and then in 2005, 2006, 2007, like all that, all that changes with yeah. 40 year version, it all changes. And then we're on the rated R comedy. So, I mean, maybe four years later, this movie is a bigger hit because rated R comedies are a thing now, but I think it's a little early here, but again, I just don't think you can sell this movie, uh, your best actor and biggest actor. Well, Robin Williams is probably a bigger actor at the time than Ed Norton, but, He's in a rhino suit on the box, right? Yeah. You go to see him on the movie poster. He's in a you're like, what the hell is this? And I think, what the hell is a smoochie?
2: If this were to compete with the movies that you just talked about, it would have to up the raunch factor. I, uh-huh. Surprisingly, this isn't as raunchy as you think it is. I actually think this is a little bit smarter um, than most of the critics gave it credit for. In my opinion, there, there's there's all these just really good jokes that fly under the radar kind of like the whole ed norton um you know talking about cowboys and indians um when they're talking about what was the charity parade of hopes um and they you know devito parade, has yep. this throwaway line like man it's the roughest of all the charities you you get yep. you get these little like as they're using this terminology like fabric stuffers and and all this other stuff and robin williams going off on the save the rhino guy outside of the <laughs> museum yeah. Um, the comedy is there. It's a little bit fast and furious. But overall, outside of the penis cookie thing, it's not as raunchy as you think it is. Yeah. But the penis
3: cookie thing is pretty funny.
2: It The rocket yeah. ship. Excuse me, the rocket ship. Yeah. It's um, a
3: rocket ship.
2: <laughs> that was pretty good. <laughs> it just Robin, so, can you name another actor who the explicit the, the explicit language that comes out of Robin Williams nobody can say fuck better than Robin Williams nobody there's not an actor who can mm, deliver Sam,
3: Samuel L. Jackson No no Samuel no Lewis. I Samuel Jackson <laughs>
2: he's I'll give you I'll give you that he can deliver that f-word pretty well but Robin Williams the when he says it there's so much energy to it Samuel Jackson just feels like it's part of his lexicon Robin Williams puts his heart and soul into that F word. And it's so funny when he does it.
3: Well, you know, for Nathan and I, and and you too, but like he's missed out fire. He's uh, Peter (laughs) Pan. Like hearing fuck come out of him is, is shocking. No matter how many times you hear him say it. Yeah, that's
2: true. That's true. He plays really good against his, his, uh, what he's, I guess, known for from a comedic standpoint.
1: I want to backtrack a little bit so one of the theories in in trying to see why this is not well received is some were arguing that due to the timing of the release of film being so close to right after 9 11 mm-hmm. and how maybe people weren't prepared for something that dark and just wanted something to escape or just lightheartedly laugh at um I don't know if I believe that theory that much because the reviews 10, 20 years later without that context still are ripping on this. But what are your guys' thoughts on that?
3: I could definitely see that the mood of the country at the time was not, let's go see something super dark. Um, Yeah. uh, I mean, this is March of Oh two. So what we're five months, six months after nine 11. Yeah, man. Like we're still seeing that stuff. Rubble still burning. And I don't know if, if seeing death the smoochie is good and this is a new york movie and it is and so yep. uh i can definitely see that um yeah it, it's funny to think about uh stuff being around september 11th and weren't the two towers being, in this
2: film and there's a shot with br- it in it blew, it's
3: Very, very short. briefly yeah yeah uh, yeah no this, I, uh, this ended shooting what like may of oh one i believe yeah so. it was
2: right before yeah. um the attacks yeah uh, I kind of, there, there might be some credence in that. It's weird. I've been trying to find out, um, as an example, uh, it, it, we, we as a country have gone from COVID into just bad economic times. Um, or well, depending on who you talk to, right. The cost of everything, inflation, all the other things, but you know, we're still adding jobs like crazy. So it, it's weird economic time.
3: I, I love this. I saw this the other day. Sorry. This, of course, you know, we have to put spin on everything. Is, we got to put spin adding, on it. Also, are the, we adding too many jobs? And I was like, Oh my God. Yeah, it's crazy.
2: What are we doing? <laughs> you talk, you talk to somebody and they go, is are we going to have a soft landing? Is it be a hard landing? Are we in a recession? Technically we're in a recession because of the definition recession, but people yeah. are going, we got to, We got to like redefine recession. So what's weird is, um, and I think we talked about this, like horror movies will typically uh, let you know, the popularity of horror movies will kind of let you know some of the, I don't know the feelings of the country, um, especially for a certain demographic. And I do think when you're coming out of something, um, that shocks your country in such a way, you're looking for entertainment that is more escapism versus your dark commentary. Um, your dark comedies, everything else. I kind of feel like that's why Maverick has been so successful this year is because people, wanted just, um, what I would call your, (laughs) your plain old fashioned adventure storytelling. They didn't want to get preached at. They didn't want something that they have to think about. I mean, the bad guys in that film are pretty much just bad guys,
3: nondescript and nondescript
2: bad guys. So Mm -hmm. you can walk into that film and not feel like you're burdened with any type of commentary. Whereas a lot of your films that fit some type of social commentary aren't doing so hot. Um, so I would kind of agree with that theory that post nine 11, certain movies are not going to do so well because I think your nation's sense of humor wasn't ready for a dark comedy.
3: Agreed. I, 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 now no one thing makes movie bomb, but things just start to kind of pile up. You can add that to the pile of possibly reasons why this movie doesn't do well. Um, you know, having your main character in a goddamn Rhino suit might be one of them. September 11th <laughs> might be another one. Uh, the subject ma- you know, all, all these things, I, I, but I get it. I get it. And and I still like 50 million is a lot of money. And of course you don't get this cast without $50 million, but then again, you're never making this money back.
2: Yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, but no, I, I think you said it best, Brad, the, this thing sinks or swims based on the performances. And if you're talking Ed Norton, um, Robin Williams, I mean, even Katherine Keener, I think, I don't know. She's, she's very one note where she comes off very grumpy in the beginning. Um, and then turns the corner. I think she hits all the marks. I don't think she's a, as good in this as some other films that she's been in, but I also don't think there's a lot for her to do outside of play that role. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I, I will say you get, you know, Danny Woodburn. Um, I will say Michael Rispoli. So some of these supporting characters who are really, um, taking it up to 11 and their performers, that spinner done thing, it, it works, uh, but it really comes down to Ed Norton and Robin Williams. That That's the only thing that I would slight against this film. They could have taken one of the mob elements out of this and just kept it going and added more scenes with Robin Williams losing his shit. And Ed Norton, turning up the niceness to like a 15 and and offset that a few more scenes like that would have, I think made this a classic as it stands. I I think it's just really good.
3: Yeah, I agree. I agree with that statement. Uh,
2: Any other thoughts that you got on this one?
3: I will save mine for when we do the, do the thing.
2: Okay. How about you,
1: Nathan? Uh, No, I'm good. Okay.
2: Well, I'm going to start with you, Nathan, on the famous question that we ask on our show is 2002's Death to Smoochie a bomb?
1: It is not a bomb.
2: All right. That's simple. Sweet. You've waited two years to say that <laughs> statement. Does it, does
1: it feel Probably good? Probably say it. Does it feel good? It feels good, but I ask myself, what now? I know.
2: What now? What do you, what do you, hey, you got Gen Con next year. You got that to live for.
3: Mission accomplished. And so like, put
2: the gasoline can down. I, I guess fun. I have to
1: pick a new film.
2: that. Uh... Yeah, you got you got to write in on a new one. All right, Brad, uh, 2002's death to smoochie. You picked this one. First time watch. Is it a bomb?
3: Troy, I did not pick this one. Okay. I did not pick this one. (laughs) You were like, I'm tired of the emails. We're (laughs) talking about to
1: smoochie. Brad, Brad, I I appreciate Brad being my proxy.
3: Yeah, you're, you're welcome. Uh, this movie is not a bomb. And I honestly think you need to see it for the performances themselves. Um, the performance of Robin Williams, look, your mileage may vary on Robin Williams. Um, I think in this movie, it, it goes a long way and really helps the movie. Ed Norton is the backbone of this movie and is solid, if not almost brilliant. Uh, so I think on those two, you should see this movie and it's not a bomb. Okay.
2: I'm going to agree with both of you. I, I don't think it's a bomb at all. Uh, I, I still chuckle a lot during this film. It does come down to Ed Norton I, and uh, Robin Williams, I, I think they're fantastic. I got to give it to Danny DeVito too, though. I mean, he he does a great job of picking the right players for the you know his movies. And um, I, I think the script is okay, but there's there are some scenes. Danny DeVito does add some really good directorial flourishes to this. I mean, he, he's really good about you know take that frisbee scene where the camera's on the frisbee going to Ed Norton, and he dodges it you get some kinetic visuals within the film that add to the slapstick elements of it. So Danny DeVito brings some really competent direction and some interesting angles and shots to this, but they don't compare to Ed Norton and Robin Williams and, and more so Ed Norton. Ed Norton, Ed Norton is this character. He sells every line of it. The comedy sort of rests on his shoulders and he's, you know, a great straight man through the whole thing as all the zaniness is going on around him. His reaction to it is a lot of fun to watch. So uh, it's, I don't know. I I mean, I've owned this DVD forever. I, I went on Amazon to kind of look, can you even buy it anymore? And it looks like the DVD is pretty expensive, but this is streaming, right? In a couple of places, maybe, I don't know.
1: Oh, I have no idea. Four, it's $4 if you want to buy it off Amazon. There you go. $4
2: on, to buy it on Amazon. On initial format, so. Yeah. I, I, would you guys spend four bucks on this if you didn't own it? Oh, absolutely. Yes. Okay. There yep. you go, man. Um, what else? What uh, that I, Hey, I agree. This is definitely not a bomb. What are we tackling next week, Brad?
3: Uh, yeah. So next week we are talking about, um, a film that you and I and Sammy talked about over text message a long time ago. And I believe, uh, vinegar, vinegar syndrome released a 4k of it. Um, it is cloak and dagger. from yes. 1984 which I have never seen, uh, surprisingly, because when you guys were telling me about it, I'm like, this movie sounds like something I would absolutely love. So Cloak and Dagger.
2: Yeah, this is my pick. So this is the, there's uh, obviously a little bit of an age difference. So Sammy and I are are closer in age, and uh, I'm sure we'll get into this next week when we talk about it. Cloak and Dagger is one of those films that was constantly on cable um, as a kid growing up. And anytime it was on, we watched it. Um, we'll get into our thoughts on it, but vinegar syndrome just put out a new 4k and I got to say, I've been dying to sit down and watch that because the box art and everything else on that thing is fantastic. And I can't wait to see what the transfer it looks like. So, uh, Dabney Coleman and, um, Oh, Mr. ET himself. What's his name? Elliot, uh, Elliot
3: something. Oh, is it, is it Elliot in the movie?
2: Right? Elliot's in the movie, but I can't remember yeah. the actor's name. Hmm. Yeah. Anyways, if only there was a way to find out. We'll get that. We'll get all the details next week, but yeah, we're going to talk about cloak and dagger. Uh, Nathan, thank you so much for taking Henry time. Thomas. Henry, Henry Thomas. 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 That's right. I yeah, thought yeah. of that. Yes. Okay. Right. So thank you so much for taking time out of Gen Con because I know you could have spent a few more hours and a few more dollars there, but you came to talk with us. I, I appreciate it,
3: man. Wait, d- does Nate have a surprise for us? Oh, he does.
1: Uh, I do. So first off, thanks for having me. Um, I'm excited you guys finally have covered this, but I did track <laughs> I down a say, gift for you guys finally. because I wanted to celebrate with you guys. Unfortunately, it's not miniatures from uh, Gen Con. Sorry, Brad. Mm. Oh, no darn. Contrast, Brad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's kind of a thank you for one. You're finally covering Death to Smoochie. Um, two, I believe this is maybe the first negative three that you guys have viewed from Movie Guide. Um, is it? Do you guys recall? Spot, was Spawn negative three? Three, yeah, I feel like oh, hellboy that or be, spawn yeah. might have yeah. been that's true, that's true because yeah, I yeah. mean, there was a lot of have hell. We never
3: had a negative four, not yet, oh. not yet. So, okay, can I make a confession before Nate, you do your thing? Yeah, someone reached out and asked if we can find a bomb that was a plus four on um movie guide. So, I've been searching, <laughs> and they're all the most. Goddamn religious i guess i probably shouldn't say god damn, no say goddamn damn religious <laughs> uh films you've ever seen in your entire life but i'm gonna search i'll keep searching and when i find one that got a uh wide release and was a bomb i will let you know
2: i'm telling you right now if if you pick like a kirk cameron saving christmas i quit oh, no, no i quit no. i'm not doing I quit. <laughs> i'm not talking no. about I'm not you talking and nathan can asset. go do this and i quit i'll edit it
3: i don't right.
1: care but i'm not participating anymore I'm out as well. I'll skip that episode.
3: (laughs) Okay, Nathan, on to you.
1: Yes. So since you fellas have everything, I really struggle with what to get you. So I may or may not have pulled some strings. Uh Uh-oh. But Movie Guide, speaking of Movie Guide, they usually only review movies. So when I found this, it definitely was not on their website. Full disclaimer, this isn't a representation of anyone's views. I read it yesterday, and it looks to be a work in progress. So, uh oh, this is actually a review of your guys' last podcast discussing throwdown. Uh, uh oh, <laughs> yep, they, they're they on to you guys. Oh, so damn. negative one, some violence, mild worldview world of problems, mild S word curse used one time. I was not that a was bomb, me. that had to be me. <laughs> that, that, I, that was you. So, not a bomb podcast is a funny, sometimes yeah, they have typos in this one as well. Okay. So funny sometimes podcasts discussing films that have bombed. This review is specifically for the Throwdown episode. Troy and Brad host the podcast and start with wholesome content about family, such as children growing up and starting to school. <laughs> Unfortunately, the children are not being homeschooled. <laughs> <laughs> so they're being indoctrinated. They also, okay, they, got it. Got it. Yep. Yep. They also joke about a cone of shame after a family member's surgery and are dismissive of the fact that they're ridiculing a family member instead of aiding them in their recovery. Look, it's, she's got newspaper on the floor. She's fine. <laughs> after making fun of Troy's spouse, they briefly discuss the film Throwdown, which is an action film from communist Hong Kong, China. Uh, true. True. <laughs> yes. Nope. This podcast claims to have rules as to what a bomb is. The rules are that a movie has to fail financially or be hated by critics, or both. In the case of Throwdown, it didn't meet these criteria, and hosts state that they don't care that they will discuss it anyway. This is part of their worldview, as they do not have respect for rules of law.
2: There's a, there is a rule. It's called the Hong Kong Clause. Hong we discussed this rule.
1: I, not me. You, you, you can take your case to them. I am. Discussion continues, and they admit belonging to a consumerist cult that buys excessive amounts of DVDs. <laughs> it's called
2: Scientology, damn it!
3: <laughs> it's, it's it's actually called Bra. It's, it's oh yeah, it's Bra. Group.
2: It is actually so we do have it. Full disclosure: we're not we're not joking. We actually have a name for it. It's called Bra. B R A. It's uh,
3: Blu-rays Anonymous. Blu-rays mm-hmm.
2: Anonymous. Yeah, continue. <laughs>
1: Brad proudly proclaims that this his fiddling away of money puts a strain on his marriage. <laughs>
2: it doesn't. Not at all. No, I think you, you did say <laughs> that. No, <yeah. laughs>
1: for no reason, Troy mentions visiting the immoral city of San Francisco for his honeymoon.
2: I yeah.
1: <laughs> his disrespect for the institution of marriage comes through as he talks fondly of the city. <laughs> After discussing modern-day Sodom and Gomorrah, yeah. they return to discussing the lack of fiscal responsibility in their lives when discussing purchases of other films. Troy and Brad then provide unsolicited financial advice and encouraging others to purchase Throwdown and other films. Yeah. Their scheme includes, quote-unquote, sending the bill to Troy. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Which Troy's not going to pay, but go ahead.
1: <laughs> I think that's their point. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> They finally return to discussing the film a third of the podcast in. One of the things they praise is the violence. This is troubling for a number of reasons. One, it's a celebration of people getting robbed, destruction of property, and other injuries such as dislocation of shoulders. Two, this is why I can tell this is not completed. It says, editor's note, make up some other random reason why this is bad. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> An example of teamwork is discussed. I think that's when you guys are discussing the balloon. Yeah, in the movie, they get a balloon out of a tree, but then don't give it to a child. This is almost a redeeming point in their discussion. More immoral items mentioned are gambling, bullying, smoking. Well, Troy then brags about all the. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, that's, I keep going. I'm good. Troy then brags about all the martial arts that he knows and taught in the past. <laughs> <laughs> This lack of humility indicates that Troy is an anti-hero to his core. Look,
3: you are a goddamn anti-hero Troy. Listen. Huma- I am
2: the most humble person I know. Look, there's not anybody more humble than I am. So that review can just fuck off, okay? I I am humble. I am super Troy's humble. Troy is the most humble. I'm well, the gotta most humble.
1: Watch They're listening now. Yeah. Uh,
2: well, you know what? I get a little emotional when people are not recognizing my humility. So go <laughs>
3: okay, ahead.
1: Okay. <laughs> the shining light in this discussion is a return to the praising of teamwork and leaving one's ego at the door. Unfortunately, this is in the context of learning how to harm others with various martial arts.
2: It's a Look, <laughs> it's, kicking people in the face is all about being humble. But this website obviously doesn't understand that. But go ahead.
1: Yep. The hosts then bring up and joke about prostitution along with opposite sex individuals sharing a bathroom stall. This would have been worse if was a unisex bathroom. Oh, yeah, the typos. Yeah. 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 Through the episode, their attempts at humor are off-color and not appropriate for anyone, especially lo- younger listeners. True. They continue to fawn over a movie that's from communist country, and this has to make one worry that American actors didn't get paid for work they would have otherwise had. They discuss the amount of money the film made, and it's clear that if the money stayed in the U.S., Tom Cruise would have another custom trampoline couch to jump up and down on. What? What? Okay. <laughs> I don't get their hate for Tom Cruise.
2: That's ridiculous. The guy's a saint.
1: <laughs> Editors' note: Listen to Akira Kurosawa section before publishing. That's <laughs> the note. <dope>. They didn't. <laughs> we hope. <laughs> wow. We're almost done. This may be the longest review they had, actually. Uh, We hope this review is enough to dissuade responsible listeners from listening. We were hopeful that this review would help guide the discussion if you accidentally heard it. While they don't use much foul language, they they re-verification that this should not be listened to. They make fun of Chuck Norris, who is a well-known Christian. Near the conclusion of this not-fit-for-consumption podcast is a joke about children with having AIDS.
2: (laughs) Well, listen... It it was just Brad (laughs) who has the AIDS. So Walker told Brad he had AIDS, not a child anyways. I'm still kind of pissed about that that humility comment. I'm kind of offended. So
1: what I found interesting is Movie Guide, when I was prepping for this, I saw that they list who you can contact at the studio about a film. I thought about gathering uh, movie guides uh, contact info for you guys. So your vast army of listeners could reach out to them about this uh, dishonest review. But uh,
2: our whole five that could write in a strongly worded email. (laughs) Yes. We'll we'll send it off to those five. That's a great review. I except for the humility part. I don't like that because I'm really humble. But other than that, I think it's pretty accurate.
1: (laughs) So, yes. Thanks again, guys. Uh, Love this discussion. Look forward to it again.
2: No, I, Hey, look, Nate, I, I, I don't tell you this enough. Um, I, I grew up, I've watched you from birth to now. And, uh, I couldn't be more proud to have you as a nephew. I mean, you're absolutely amazing. Were you there? Uh, yes, I believe I, I, I I actually was his babysitter and (laughs) blamed him for a lot of stuff when I actually broke stuff. So Um, He he took the fall quite a bit. And uh, but look, the amazing thing about Nathan is he has been on the road for I don't know how many months now, Nathan, like three or four Yeah. So he's been seeing everybody. And I've had the pleasure, um, especially this year, sort of post COVID, that he's kind of stayed with us for a couple of weeks. And um, with all of the crazy stuff that's going on through like my wife's back surgery Mm -hmm. and bunch of other stuff's happened in 2022. The bright spots have been the times when Nathan has stayed because we got to do all this catching up that we hadn't done for a few years. His wife even came out, hadn't seen her for a few years. And um, I mean, we'd sit around and watch films. I mean, we had a gr- great time. Uh, like the, one of the last movies we watched was Amazon women on the moon. And we were laughing <laughs> oh. so hard in the basement that when we came upstairs, everybody thought we were having a seizure. Cause I mean, we just had so much fun together, but Man, I, I, I'm so proud of you. I, I love you, man. I You're the most amazing nephew ever, and uh, thank you for taking time. I know you've got a busy schedule being on the road and stuff to uh, come talk to us, so it it's awesome.
1: Yeah, thank you, guys. Love you, guys. It was a pleasure, man.
2: Um, I also do want to do a quick little plug. So uh, our good friend um, Sammy over at The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema, Will is on vacation. He's out with the family touring like a bunch of cool places. And Sammy wanted to talk about a film that was actually playing in the theaters. And so he asked myself and Jose to come over to the Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema and talk about Jordan Peele's Nope from 2022. So I think he will release that on August 8th. So ours will come. This episode will come out a few days later. But if you want to hear me and you want to hear Jose over on The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema talk about Jordan Peele's NOPE, um, head over to there and download that. It's a really fun discussion. Typically, you know, that shows about an hour long. It ended up being two and a half hours because we just would not shot up. We had a really good debate. So a couple of us, well, maybe one of us didn't really agree about how brilliant NOPE was. And it caused a big debate that lasted about two hours. So, uh, it's a really fun episode. It flew by, and um, I just go check it out. And actually, I think Nope might act <laughs> the way it's tracking, Nope might be on our show at one point. So, it had about a 68 70 million dollar budget, it hasn't even crossed 100 million yet.
3: So, yeah, know, they marketed the hell out of that movie, too.
2: Yeah, it's gotten a really good critical reviews, but mm-hmm. I actually think that might uh end up maybe barely breaking even, or I don't know. It, it's little too early to say but i'm really surprised that that film um is really tracking as low as it is it is given how much it was marketed but yeah go listen to my thoughts on it jose's thoughts on it sammy's thoughts on it uh go listen to gentleman's guide to midnight cinema uh what else Brad? we got anything else to
3: oh how do they get a hold of us yeah that's not about pot at gmail.com you can hit us up on instagram uh facebook and twitter you can also head over to notabombpodcast.com um and leave us a message there
2: yeah and since we're getting we're getting trashed by this christian website apparently uh if you could leave us a review at any of the the podcast websites you listen to itunes spotify i don't know how it works um but if you are leaving a review could you please say something about how humble i am or being the most (laughs) humble
3: yeah. Because I don't Make like. Make sure you mention that Troy is the most humble. Yeah.
2: If there's something out there from some Christian website saying that I'm not humble, I think we can counteract that with iTunes about talking about my humbleness in general. Um, but yeah, we, we've really got it. That's a smear campaign. I think we can combat this with the right <laughs> reviews. So do me a solid, folks. Go out there and, and, and write a good review about that. <laughs> um, what else? Go listen to VHS Files Podcast, Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema, Night of the Living Podcast, Mixtape Podcast. Iron sequel. Am I missing any? The Back Look. Oh, the Back Look Cinema podcast. Zo sent in another great email. He and I were having a great discussion on Chuck Norris. Can you believe this? He's only seen one Chuck Norris film. It was Here on the Terror. He hated it so much. He's never seen another Chuck Norris film. He's
3: fine. He's fine.
2: He's Chuck not Norris fine. is just okay. Go go watch Zoe. Go watch Code of Silence and uh Lone Wolf McQuaid. Definitely just those two.
1: Lone Wolf for sure.
2: Yeah. See, Nate is even pushing Lone Wolf McQuaid. Um, all right. I can't think of anything else. Is that it? That's it. Okay. I don't know if you're listening in the morning, the afternoon, or evening. Thank you for joining us and hearing us discuss death to smoochie. If you're playing along, go and buy that vinegar syndrome uh 4k edition of cloak and dagger seek yeah, it it's out only,
3: it's only 40 dollars.
2: it is a great investment um go grab it watch it and then come back here next week when we talk about uh that kid from et and dabney coleman and uh cloak and dagger
1: walker and, told and me send i had the bill to build you troy
2: oh. <laughs> and send the bill to me not
3: i right i'm gonna do it again because nate interrupted me oh i'm sorry go ahead. i'm sorry brad Walker told me I have eights.
2: You're not doing the don't lose your head thing. Walker told me I have eights. Okay, fine. Walker. And don't lose your head. Okay. Yeah. Brad has eights because of Walker. Got it. All right. (laughs) See you, folks.